0: okay we are um, in exodus Uh, last week we did exodus uh, 24 which is a pretty important passage in scripture because it's where the covenant is confirmed Um, the timeline goes something like this Um, moses the people have been brought out of egypt they go get to the Mount, to Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up onto the mountain and gives him the law, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, and what is called the Book of the Covenant. Moses brings that back down, reads it to the people, and the people make an important statement. They say, all that the Lord has said, we will do. In other words, they enter into covenant with God. And then we find that there is a ceremony that takes place and it's, it's um, ratifying the covenant is what it is. So they take um, and build altar an altar. They build 12 pillars around the base of the mountain, one for each tribe. They sacrifice burnt and peace offerings to the Lord They take the blood of the bulls or the oxen actually, they sprinkle the, they they pour blood, half of the blood on the altar and the other they sprinkle on the people. Uh, We find out from Hebrews, they also sprinkle it on the book of the covenant. They sprinkle the blood on the book of the covenant. And, And then the people of the elders go up onto the mountain with Moses and they eat a meal and all of this is part of covenant ratification. They go up and they eat a meal and they see God. And we don't understand what that means, but they see God and they see this uh, sapphire pavement clear as the sky and they see God's feet on there. And then, and it says, and God let them live. And they eat a meal, they see, the, see God, And God lets them live. Um, The the blood is called the blood of the covenant. And you can't help but think of the parallels to Jesus Christ. Because at the Last Supper, when he institutes communion, what does he say? This is my blood of the covenant. They eat a meal. they, They drink of that cup and they enter into the covenant, essentially. And then what's fascinating is that Philip's response right after that is, um, show us the Father, which I think he's thinking back to Exodus. Well, if they saw the Father, why can't we see the Father? And what does Jesus say? You've already seen the Father. This is a greater covenant. It's a greater covenant. And so you've already seen the Father, you just didn't realize that he's been with you the entire time. Um, one thing I wanna comment on, uh, Bonnie had said when I asked what was the blood for, I made the argument that the blood was the, uh, emphasizing the seriousness of the covenant. Uh, Bonnie said it was for forgiving of sins. Jesus, when he says, this is my blood given for the forgiveness of many, so certainly the blood forgives. I made the point last week, that there are five offerings in the Old Testament, um, which we just aren't real familiar with. There's the burnt offering. There is a peace offering. There's actually another offering called a wave offering. And then there's a sin offering and a guilt offering. And Hillary was asking about this afterwards. Where did the other two fit in? Anybody remember what was the burnt offering for? That one was dedication. I give my life to God just like I give this animal to God. This burnt offering is dedication. It is not a sin offering. It is not an offering which um, you had to offer. It's totally voluntary. Uh, the idea was that just as I'm giving this animal, I give my life to you. Jesus Christ is the burnt I mean, is the a burnt offering. He offers himself. The peace and the wave offering could be nothing more than praising God, but what it emphasized was that you were at peace with God or that all was right, okay? It, you were satisfied. And so it really, this, the idea of the peace offering, it, it um, when you offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that's a peace offering. When you simply praise God for what he's done, that's a peace offering. The wave offering was similar. Um, it was at the first fruits, or when something you would come and they would they would actually wave grain in front of the Lord but it wasn't the sacrifice that was, um, was involving sin or guilt. The sin offering and the guilt offering are similar. Guilt offering is one where restitution had to be made. The sin offering you didn't make restitution. So it depended on how the sin took place. So really there's three classes of sin At at Jesus is all of those He's our burnt offering. He's our peace or wave offering. He's the sin and guilt offering for us because his blood takes away sin. And he's the Passover lamb, right? So we see all of that coming true um, when we get to Jesus and, and the uh, covenant that he, we enter into with him. Now, um, I want to skip over a passage. I want to read it and make a comment on it because we'll get to it in Exodus 33. Uh, Moses, we're not quite done with chapter 24, but what I really wanna get to this morning is the tabernacle. And I have um, some Sunday school classes are gonna be ending June 4th. This class is gonna go to the end of June. Um, Hope that's okay with everybody. I know Dave's okay with it. He doesn't like getting up on Sunday morning and waiting until 1030 for church. He doesn't know what to do with himself. So, um, so I just kind of fill that hour for him. So that's good. Um, and then, then the whole church to give the nursery workers and all the rest a break will take off the month of July um, up until part of, part of August. And what I want to do is finish the tabernacle and I need to push off this one passage. But let's start in verse 12. <coughs> in fact, go back to verse um, 19 or verse 10 um, of chapter 24. This is the part that's kind of the interesting part. It says, um, the elders had gone up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Um, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose up with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we have returned to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, the glory of the, uh, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud, and Moses went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. So um, that's, that's Moses now going up to get the actual tablets of stone. First time he went up onto the mountain, he didn't get the tablets of stone. It was given to him in some other form. Now, because the people have said, we enter the covenant, it's going to be put into stone. Um, I want to talk about the glory of God um, when we get to Exodus 33, because that's where Moses says, show me your glory. So I want to move on to the tabernacle. By the way, um, just a little side point, who is Hur? Because it's Aaron and Hur go down. Anybody know, remember who Hur is? He's the guy who held up Moses' arms, right? At the Amalekites? He is Caleb's son. Um, and at this point, they haven't gone into the land, but this is Caleb's son. And Caleb's, Hur's uh, grandson, is one of the two men who is appointed to, um, to do all the fine work of the temple. So her's kind of an interesting character, but we're not gonna spend any more time with her. I just thought I would mention that. All right, now, let me ask a question. Let me see where we are on this. Um, Moses, how many times does Moses go up onto the mountain? Well, yeah, you're right. That first time he goes up and down a whole bunch of times. Then once he gets the law, he gets the law, he comes back down, he's going up the second time to get the law. Now it's gonna be on stone. He goes up a third time, right? After they break the covenant, he goes back up and he has to get another copy of the law. What else does he get when he goes up onto the mountain? I mean, we all saw 10, maybe some of you young people haven't, but um, Moses goes up on the mountain, what does he come back with? The two big tablets of stone. What else does he get told when he goes up onto the mountain? He gets told how to build the tabernacle. When he goes up that mountain, he's gonna be given the 10 commandments on stone and the plans for the tabernacle. Um, I want you to see this. Look in chapter 25. <clears throat> 25, my, I'm just gonna read that, the title headings of mine, but it's contributions for the sanctuary. The very first thing that God does when Moses goes up is says, go back and tell the people to give because we're gonna build a building. We're gonna build a tabernacle. Um, And then he gives directions on building the Ark of the Covenant. It's kind of interesting. And then the table for bread and the golden lampstand, And then in chapter 26, he talks about the actual building of the tabernacle. Um, That would be the the court around the outside, which is called the court of the Gentiles. And then the uh, tabernacle itself, the holy place Um, In chapter 27, he deals with the bronze altar. Um, And in um, chapter nine, um, talks about the outer court. So he talks tabernacle first, outer court, oil for the lamp, the priest's garments, um, how to consecrate the priests in chapter 29, the altar of incense in chapter 30, and then um, the, the census tax, how they're gonna pay for part of it, and the bronze basin and how to make the anointing oil. And then he instructs Moses to set aside two men, um, Ohaliah and Bel- Beziel, and Beziel was her's grandson, um, and that they are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this will take place, all right? That's a lot of instruction about the tabernacle. Um, Jay Vernon McGee, everybody remember Jay Vernon McGee? <laughs> I can hear his voice. I'm not good at imitating, but I can hear it in my head. Um, Jay Vernon made made an interesting statement on this. He said, when God wanted to describe the creation of the universe, he takes one verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when he wants to describe the, create, the building of the tabernacle, he takes six chapters. And he asks the question, why? Now, um, I, I, got, I said that to somebody this week, and they said, well, actually, there's a chapter. Okay, uh, I'm going to pin that on J. Vernon McGee. One verse for the creation of the universe, six chapters for the building of the temple. The question would be, why? Uh, God is really serious about the tabernacle. Uh, go back to chapter 25. We haven't read this yet. I just want to read the first, the first eight verses. The Lord says to Moses, or said to Moses, Moses is back up on the mountain. God doesn't make the Ten Commandments right now. We, uh, that's all we picture. But he goes up and apparently the first thing he says is take the, take the contribution. He says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution. <coughs> Excuse me, I lost my place. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them: gold, silver, and bronze; purple and blue, and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen; goats' hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now watch the next verse, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the temple and of all of its furniture, so you shall make it. It is really important to God that the tabernacle is built properly. So much so that he gives detailed instructions and then he takes two men, he warns Moses, he takes two men and he says, you too will be filled with the Holy Spirit so that this will be built properly. Now, the question is, why is this tabernacle so important? Uh, What is it about the tabernacle that needs such special care? Um, uh, One author pointed out that the only structure in the history of mankind that was designed and made sure that it was built perfectly is the tabernacle. There's no other building like it, okay? Now, some of you may have done little craft projects when you were in Sunday school where you built a tabernacle. Um, I remember we had one, and I think, although that's a great thing to do, I think we miss out some on the significance of what the tabernacle is. So let me, let me take some thoughts here. Why is the tabernacle so important? Why is this so important to God? He's gonna take six chapters in Exodus and talk about this building that is going to be built. Go ahead, Rudd. Uh, the oh, okay, so man needs a little bit more help, yeah. A lot more help. I think I just. Oh, that's bad. I think I left my notes. Let me see. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I might have it here. Okay. There we go. Okay. Good. Um, all right. So man needs more help than God does. God can can do that.
1: Man doesn't know how to structure, build something for God, the way God wants
0: Okay. Why is it so important to God that this is built perfectly? What is that? He
1: wants a specific place where he can dwell.
0: Okay, so he wants to make sure that where he is is, is the perfect dwelling place. Okay, any other thoughts? <clears throat> Okay, I would, I would concur with that as well, that it definitely shows God's holiness. It also shows the, the significance or the importance of worship to God and that it needs to be done properly. Um, any other comments? Go ahead. Okay, so it's a, it's a picture of something greater and a picture of our relationship with God or how we relate to God. Okay. Adrian, I know you've studied the tabernacle. What do you think? Adrian was sitting there just happy looking through his Bible. He's probably looking at a picture of the tabernacle right now, not used to being called on. OK, um, here's what J. Vernon McGee said, and I, it kind of goes along with a number of things that have been said, but um, probably lines up more with what Tom has said here. Um, creation is God's finger work, right? Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens the work of your fingers. Creation is, is simple. It's just detail. But salvation requires God's right arm. Um, Uh, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is God's salvation. Um, The the picture of the tabernacle is a picture of salvation. And every detail points toward, like Tom said, how we relate to God, but also the salvation that's going to be offered through Jesus Christ. The the, the tabernacle has to be constructed the right way so the people understand um, what is coming. It's what we would call a type or what uh, Hebrews calls a shadow. In fact, I'd like to turn to Hebrews, uh, if, if you would. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. This is an incredible chapter that deals with this. Of course, if you know Hebrews starting in about chapter 6, uh, even back further, it talks about Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Christ Um, is at the right hand of God. Christ as blood only has to be offered once. And then we get to Hebrews nine, and it's gonna talk about the tabernacle, but it's actually gonna relate it to the new tabernacle. Um, It says, starting in chapter nine, verse one, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it was the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Why can't he speak of them in detail? It's not the point of his book, but what's interesting is I think he could have spoken of them in detail. Uh, In every part of the detail of the tabernacle, there is meaning. Um, I'm not going to be the one to be able to pull that out, but we're still going to look at the tabernacle. I think when we... Uh, understand the thoughts of God if we're in heaven we will look and understand how the tabernacle every detail down to the last little part and the way things were fashioned all pointed towards something perfect relating to our salvation um, then he goes on these preparations having thus been made the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duty but into the second only the high priest goes and he has but once a y- he ha- but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed upon the time of reformation. There's all a picture of something that's to come and if it's still standing, it means that hasn't happened yet. Um, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, that have come, not to come, that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, what's the tent? The holy place, the tabernacle. There's an outer court. It's the tabernacle through the, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of bulls and of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls, of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify. For the purification of flesh how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God okay Uh, keep I'm uh, let's see I want to jump over Um, it's almost too good not to read but I know we're going to get bogged down in some of the details here Um, let's start at verse 19 it says well, actually 18 therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood but when every commandment of the law had been declared to by Moses to all the people he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you and in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship indeed he, under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins now watch the next verse Mm -hmm. thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these the tabernacle is a copy of something greater Now, I'm not saying there's a physical building in heaven, but there is something that the tabernacle is the the copy of, an imperfect copy, but as perfect as God can make it because it lacks something because it's it's a shadow. That's another word that's used, the shadow. You may have a perfect shadow, but you lose a lot in the shadow, right? That's the idea. Um, What's really fascinating is this, this temple had to be purified with blood, the temple, the tabernacle in heaven has to be purified with Christ's blood and that just makes my head hurt. How does something in heaven need to be purified? But that's what it said, the the earthly temple, they build this beautiful thing and everything gets sprinkled with blood and something in heaven is being sprinkled with Christ's blood and it's the picture, the shadow of the tabernacle, all right? Then it says, for then, verse 26, there, um, um, wait, where was I? Uh, Yeah, verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with those rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So this tabernacle is significant in ways that I don't think we will ever understand. And yet most of the time we just skip right over it. It's like, it's just the tabernacle. It's just a little structure out there in the wilderness. No, it all points to Christ and it all points to our salvation. And as Tom said, it all points to how God relates to us as human beings. Um, um, one man said this when the people answered all that the Lord says we will do God's first response is here is the tabernacle or build me a tabernacle Why did they need the tabernacle? Because they are never going to be able to keep the law. And the tabernacle uh, allows man to approach God. And ultimately, it's a picture of Jesus Christ where we are going to be able to come to God through Jesus Christ. The people make that incredible statement, all the Lord says we will do. They may even thought they could do it. Were they able to do it? No, they didn't even last 40 days before, they're, before they are breaking the first two commands. And God is up on the mountain doing what? Giving the plans for them to be able to be reconciled to God. So the tabernacle is important. Let's look at the tabernacle, unless there's comments here. Some of you are, are, are thinking and pondering. No, Kirk? Um, I, I will draw this right. I got chewed out last week by Adrian. I drew the tabernacle in the wrong direction. And you see, even the direction matters because God said what direction it's supposed to be. I, put the re- I did a mirror image of the tabernacles. So that's really bad. The the on the no, no. Just that. Yeah, that would have been really heavy care. We wouldn't need uh, m- mules or something. No, this is given to Moses. And then, like I said, he gives the, the men the Spirit of God, actually spiritually, Holy Spirit indwelling, to do it properly. Um, the tabernacle itself, and where this is converting from cubits to feet, is 75 feet on one end, 150 feet. This is a, a fence that's built with uh, posts and linens, Uh, Fine linen across here, um, and it is white linen. I don't know how you keep it clean in the desert. Seven and a half feet high. All right, so looking at it from the outside, this opening is 30 feet wide. Okay, when you walk in, anybody know what's the very first thing we see? The bronze altar where we offer sacrifices. First thing you do when you walk in is a sacrifice is offered. What's next? Yes. Wait a minute, I thought it opens to the east. That's the west. Oh, you... Okay, I just did it wrong again, okay, all right. See, Adrian knows, and it matters to him. So it, it mat- and it matters to God. So it matters to us. Okay, there's the bronze altar. This is the laver. What do you do in a laver? Wash. We have been washed in His blood. We have the washing of regeneration. We're off of the sacrifices. We're cleansed, and then we have the most holy, or the holy place. This is actually the tabernacle. This is called the court of the Gentiles. Um, This is the tabernacle. Tabernacle is 15 feet by 45 feet by 15 feet high. So this is, I don't know how to put that on there. It's 15 feet high. The holy of holies, and this is going to be way out of scale here. The holy of holies, which is over here, and this looks terrible, is 15 feet this way. That's why it's not to scale. So 30 by by 15 and 15 by 15. You understand the the holy of holies is 15 by 15 by 15. It's a perfect cube. By the way, if you go to Revelation, yes, it's 15 feet higher, uh, seven and a half feet higher. So from the side, if you were looking at it, you would see this, this sort of white fence and rising above it is this tabernacle. Um, of course, the Holy of Holies, if you go inside to the north, this is north, right, um, Adrian? Uh, north is the uh, table of showbread. So this is where the bread is. Um, on this side, you had the lampstand. And right here is an altar of incense. Um, and each one of those, of course, is significant to Jesus Christ. And then you go inside, and in here is the Holy of Holies. And sitting on top of the Holy of Holies is the mercy seat, the angels with their wings coming forward and they form a a mercy seat. Um, This structure itself would have been magnificent on the inside. It's made out of planks that are 15 feet high and two and a quarter feet wide, roughly, covered in solid gold, covered in gold. Um, And everything in here would have been golden you would have walked in and it would have just been amazing. The outside is covered with a covering. The inner covering, covering what you would have seen from the inside is absolutely gorgeous. It is white linen with um, gold and purple and scarlet and blue embroidery, of uh, blue of uh, embroidery, of angels, or, or cherubim. So that when you look up, that was mentioned in, um, well, when you looked up, you would have seen that um, angels, what would have looked like the sky above you. And then there is a second layer of ram skin, um, and no, goats skin, not rams, goats. And then there's a layer of ram skin Dyed red. Hmm, wonder why it's dyed red. Kind of interesting. And then covering it is a layer of porpoise skin. And we would ask the question where in the world do you get porpoise skin out in the middle of the desert? Porpoise skin is like leather, but very water resistant. So when looking at this from the outside, this is completely covered. Um, with this porpoise skin. You would have no idea of the other layers. It's got porpoise skin covering it. It would look very, very drab. From the outside, you're gonna look and you're gonna see this kind of plain tent. You'd see this white border and then this kind of ugly covered tent that's inside of there, okay? So kind of interesting. That's the outline of the the temple. Um, Any idea? Um, April, you can't answer because I already told her how much this gonna cost in today's dollars? No takers? Come on, be brave, throw out a number. Several billion. Several billion, well you're a little high. That's, that's a little <laughs> bit high. About 30 million in today's dollars. So um, We're building a pretty big building over there with lots of people working on it and it's not gonna be 30 million I hope, um, this is um, this is uh, a pretty amazing uh, structure. Now, let me just yeah go ahead, Rodney.
1: Two things. Number one, the reason Adrian is so dead set on east and west, he's a surveyor, and if he gets <laughs> east and west mixed up, he messes everything.
0: That's right. I know. I know that. I know, I know exactly why Adrian cares. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, let's, let's think about that. What did they do when they left Egypt? The people came and said, go, and they gave them. This is the riches of Egypt, actually, that is building this temple. Um, now, uh, this tabernacle. By the way, the temple was modern after the tabernacle, but was not exactly the same. It was a different structure. So it's a, it's a, it's a shadow of a shadow, the temple. But this is the shadow of something real that's in heaven. I, I know we're, we're close to being done on time. Let me just do this because this is where we're going to end up going uh, with this. Um, the, the tabernacle is a type. Everybody know that word? When we say something is a type? Um, let, me, let me read you the definition because I have to... It's, it's a person or thing symbolizing or exemplifying the ideal or defining characteristic of something. A type is something that when we look at it, it's a person or a thing, and there's some characteristic that points to the ideal characteristics of something else. A type is always a picture of something to come. There's type, and then the thing that it is the type of is called the anti-type, which I've never liked that word uh, I don't know why, I think somewhere in my past it sounded like antichrist, and, and I just didn't like that, but uh, there's type and there's anti-type. As a quick example, Isaac is a type of Christ, right? Um, Isaac is the type of Christ, Christ is the anti-type of Isaac, Why? Right? Because Isaac is the only son of his father, and he is offered as a sacrifice by his father, and and so we see that, and when we look at that, we say that pictures Jesus Christ. Right? The tabernacle is a type. And I'm going to deal with it as a type of Christ and as a type of um, salvation or the plan of salvation, or as Tom said, the way that we relate to God. The way that God has gone about working salvation for us is all pictured in that tabernacle. Um, It's a type of Christ because of that phrase that says that the tabernacle is where God is going to dwell among men. Look at John 1 for me. John chapter one. Talking about Jesus, of course, and in verse fourteen, it says, "And the Word became flesh, and what dwelt among us." You know what the actual word there is? Tabernacled. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and what? We beheld his. uh, We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. And truth. Um, Jesus is God dwelling with men. The only way to God was through this tabernacle. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to God is through the blood and the washing. Once we're inside of here, we are we're saved. We have the bread of life, the light of the world, the Holy Spirit offering prayers up for us and our prayers to him and then the ability to go into the presence of the Holy Father all through Jesus Christ. So the tabernacle is a picture of Christ but it is also a picture maybe in a larger sense of the work that Christ does, the work of salvation. Every single part of it is important. Now um, I have books on the tabernacle and some of them go into even the construction of the ropes that they used and how, what that represents. And I, I, I can't do that because I, I wanna make sure it lines up with what the scripture says. But, if, but as we go through, I think there's enough here that it should illuminate even the salvation that we, that we know as we go through. So um, if, you, if you want a, um, a slog, read through. Um, those of you who are builders, See, April should do it because she has this. She can picture things. I read through it and my mind just shuts down because I don't see things in words turning into pictures. But some of you can do that. And there's people who can, obviously. And obviously, God was able to do that. But read through um, Exodus 25 to when we get to the end. By the way, the pattern is, is interesting when God says, here's my law and the people say, all that the Lord does, we will do the tabernacle is presented to them. When Moses comes down off the mountain, the, 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 the tablets get broken, Moses breaks them, what does he do? He goes back up on the mountain, God gives them the, him more tablets, and when they come down, the next thing that happens is they begin to build the tabernacle. The pattern is, here's the law, here's the tabernacle. Here's the broken law, build the tabernacle. Um, but, but for us, it's, it's um, you have violated God's holy law. Here is Jesus Christ. And, and the picture is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So any, any comments on the tabernacle before we finish here? I don't know what the answer to that is. And it says that it is required to purify the things even in heaven, which is a, like I said, that's a good. And and I saw Kirk up there reading it again. Was I right, Kirk? Is that what it says? It's what it says. It says the thing, and the interesting thing is they build this beautiful Holy of Holies, right? With all the gold and the candlestick and everything. And then what do they do? They sprinkle it all with blood. But it hasn't sinned, it's not for sin, it's for purification, it's dedication perhaps. But something about Christ's blood purifies even that which is in in heaven, which is amazing. Go back and read Hebrews 9, Rod, and see if, get your commentaries out, I could be wrong. I just, that's what it says, so I assume that that's correct.
1: Well, the idea,
0: to think about that um, let's 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 ponder that, okay. I'll, I'll that. because I, I I see it just a little bit different that that because we are in Christ and because we have his righteousness we can stand before a holy God without any without any fear it's
1: God's righteousness,
0: Christ's righteousness. It's, it's now if Christ's righteousness wasn't there you would not be standing in that holy place but but the picture sometimes is painted that God is up here really mad at our sin and we're hiding behind Christ. But I, th- I think the better picture is is that we have been made right. righteous like Christ and we have confidence to enter the holy place because the Father now embraces us as his children. So anyways, maybe a, maybe a little minor difference there, but. Uh, the, uh, just the word that he was protecting us when we're in the holy place. The yeah, I don't know if he's protecting us when we're in prison. His blood definitely covers us, but it's his blood which allows us to stand confidently before God. If that blood was removed, we would be in trouble. So maybe that's, that's maybe we're semantics here. Any other comments before we, before we finish? We will try before the end of the break to be done with, these chapters so we can break it up into different sections as we go through so all right all right let's go and pray